0: and fish can coexist peacefully.
2: Read my lip. And then
0: we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House.
1: Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people, we're the most loyal people.
2: Ooh, are you guys in for a special one today? It's gonna be so much fun. <laughs> so many fun things to talk about, you have no idea. It's going to be It's going to be good, Nick. It's going to be so good. <laughs> Surprises. Um, hi, guys. Barstool Politics. Uh, welcome back. I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Howdy. Hey. Uh, before we get started, let's do all of the fun stuff. Um If you guys like the podcast, have questions, comments, um, beer suggestions, anything you want us to talk about, um, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, Beers that we try you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Just look for Barstool Politics. The podcast, uh, Spotify, iTunes, um, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. So uh, review us, share us, like us through there. on that topic, if you guys didn't see, we managed to somehow accumulate 90,000 downloads since we started this thing. That's crazy, Nick. Yes. So thank you to all of our listeners. Um, we're very excited to get to 100,000. Um, but, yeah, thank you guys for all the support. Um, we really appreciate it. Tell your friends. Tell your friends <laughs> so we can get to 100,000. W- that would be awesome. We're going to anyways because we're so good. But it would help if we <laughs> did it faster. <clears throat> Um, and then, of course, uh, Predict It um, for new listeners or returning listeners who always love hearing this. Um, Predict It is a real money uh, political pr- uh, prediction market, uh, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Um, it's a lot of fun. We use it to kind of get a pulse on events that are going on. Um, Democratic primary, uh, see who's leading in the polls, where people are putting their money, um, you know who people think are, are going to be the front runners, um, and you know, like, I did I already say where people are putting their money? Yeah. I said that already. Yes, yes I yes. can't remember ten seconds, fucking, in the past at this point.
1: I'm just as you were talking, I was looking at their look at the 2020 uh, Democratic primary, and Biden is like, you know, Biden is up on predicting. <laughs> we'll talk about him in the polls as well, um, but. Not as not as much as you as he is up in the polls. So we'll we'll get to that. Interesting.
2: Yeah. Stay tuned yeah. for two minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, what's great for our listeners? Uh, so when you open up a new account, uh, you can receive up to a twenty dollars match on your first deposit. So for example, if you open up a twenty dollars account, Predicted will match that twenty dollars, giving you forty dollars to use out of the gate. Um, all you have to do is use the promo link uh, predicted org slash promo slash barstool paul twenty. Uh, and get your free money. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. Again, I'm, i got to find something else to say besides it's a lot of fun. But it is fun, so I'm not going to stop saying it. It's educational. too. It's educational fun. Funly educational. And, and profitable. And profitable if you don't suck at it like me. <laughs> you could study it like, you know, it's, it's economic. It is. It's economic. Yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah, what the hell are we talking Oh, surprise things. Of course. <laughs> What's, oh man, I'm so excited about this one. You guys need to stay all the way through this episode because at the end of the episode and for the next two episodes, we're going to end the show with some discussions about Game of Thrones and how it relates to political, what? What's that? What? (laughs) Game of Thrones. I don't worry about it. Phil doesn't watch, but that's not going to hurt the discussion at all. <laughs> so we found some cool articles that kind of related to, to politi- uh, political science and political theory, uh, and we thought we'd take a stab at it. And also because it's Game of Thrones, we get to talk about Game of Thrones for a few minutes. And Nick and I are drinking a Game of Thrones beer yes. right now. We're going to, we'll review that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Preview. It's terrible. but um. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, licensed products. <laughs> that's right. Um. But yeah, we're going to get started. We have an awesome... Dis- Phil's has some really cool insight on this first discussion we're going to have. So Bill, take All it right. away, I guess. So,
1: so it was a big week on the campaign trail. Former Vice President Joe Biden officially announced his candidacy for the presidency. In his opening campaign video, Biden brought up Charlottesville and directly confronted President Trump on his failure to condemn the neo-Nazi marchers. In response, Trump doubled down on his, quote, very fine people on both sides comment, suggesting that he was not referring to neo-Nazi marchers, but to those who had posed the removal of the statue of the great confederate general robert e lee yeah that, that seems reasonable nick right totally, going totally reasonable in. yeah all right going back to biden it's not at all clear that he's any good at running for president He has run twice for president without coming remotely close to winning and when biden was contemplating a presidential run in 2016 president obama gently not so gently discouraged him yeah uh, Yet yeah, maybe this time it'll be different. In the first poll since his announcement, Biden has a commanding lead, polling at 39%, with Bernie Sanders a distant second at 15%. Now, someone who does know something about running for president is our own Dr. Phil Barker, who has spent the last two weeks hanging out with multiple Democratic primary candidates and their campaigns as they visited Keene State College. What? Yes. We have have a star here. (laughs) So let's start with Phil's observations and then move on to assessing Biden's chances. Phil, tell us a little bit about your time with all these campaigns.
0: Uh, yeah, it's been. Uh, so, you know, I, for a Texas boy, I'm, I've never been this close to uh, the the primary process before. New Hampshire is this foreign thing to me. And um, when I moved here four years ago, we were at the very end of the primary season. So I, I saw a little bit of it then. But the, the number of candidates who are now coming to New Hampshire and specifically to Keene State College is Remarkable. So I, I want to preface this. On, this week we had in the in eight days. This kind of gives you an example. In the last in the last ten days, we've had um, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, um, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Julian Castro all on campus. So three sitting senators plus a, a former cabinet secretary, uh, which in and of itself is amazing. Right to have that that mm-hmm. on campus is really interesting. But all four of them running for president. Uh, and so I, as a political scientist, have been asked to participate in these, which the participation means I get up at the beginning and basically say, welcome to Keene State. Um, and then, <laughs> you do that so well. They, they do their thing. I know. Yes. Yeah, so you get to uh, sniff if, their hair and then you walk <laughs> off the stage. Exactly. Who
2: smelled the best?
0: <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Uh, But it means that I get to be behind the scenes. I get to see how the campaigns run things, you know, when they come in, all the planning that happens, how their staffers run things, how the candidates act when they're on campus. And so it's been really interesting. My my disclaimer that I should put out there is that my observations that I'm about to share are just mine. (laughs) They don't reflect Keene (laughs) State. This is just me. Um, You're legally in the clear now. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it's been really fascinating for four, for four presidential campaigns to come through and to see the dramatic differences in how they handle things. So, um, well, I, you know, one of the things that, uh, some of the ways that it kind of stands out, I mean, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris are the two big names of the four that came through. Um, and so they have, you know they have a system in place. They come in, they have staffers that come ahead of time, they get everything set up. They have professional stagers that come in and set the, you know the the stage up with American flags and all that good stuff. Um, but you also get to, Uh, In those cases, they have for people like me and for donors and whatnot. They have like a special room in the back where the candidate will come in and meet with them. And um, yeah, I mean, so the the takeaway (laughs) that I told people about, uh, (laughs) Elizabeth Warren um, was, I mean, her staff was incredibly well organized. They were incredibly kind, like they went out of their way to you know ask how they could you know what they could do for us they encouraged me to talk more rather than you know they weren't concerned about me getting up and talking they encouraged me to talk about our students and what our students do um she and her people came backstage and spent time with people elizabeth warren actually reached out to some of the student groups on campus asking them if they would come meet with her um it was just a, that was my first experience. And I was like, mm-hmm. "This is great. This is good, politicians are good people." <laughs> and then, um, and, and this has nothing. This is you know, this is not a statement about their policies at all. It was just sort of kind of how they handle things. Um, a couple of days later, I got a text from uh, that was you know from Elizabeth Warren thanking me for what I did, and I you know I'm sure it was an automated text, but it was still you know somebody in her campaign thought to to do that. Which is a uh, reflection
1: that, on that, on the the candidate and the campaign, right? That they're yeah. well organized. They're thinking about all of these things.
0: Yeah, and then three days later, the Kamala Harris campaign came in, and they were also <laughs> similarly staffed in that they had a lot of people involved in trying to sort of make sure everything went well. But the feel was totally different. Like it felt like you know they were stressed. They had deadlines to meet. They had stuff that they needed to do. Um, and it felt like I was in their way. Not mm-hmm. I, they were not glad to have me there. They <laughs> wanted me out of the way. They Which told is the normal like, Phil Barker experience, <laughs> right? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. At one point, I was told to wait in the back room, and they would come talk to me when they had time. Jeez, oh, that's, that's terrible. terrible. It, was, it was. It was really. It was really shocking to me. I was really surprised by it. So the the difference that I go back to is when I finished doing my intro for Elizabeth Warren, they had brought my wife kelly in like they escorted her in and seated her on the front row they saved a, spe- a spot next to her for me i ended up sitting between kelly and um, elizabeth warren's husband on the front row like right there watching her talk and when i finished doing my introduction for Kamala Harris, her manager guy said to me as I came off the stage, uh, there's really not enough room here, so we need you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so just now, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of curious what you, and I can talk about Gillibrand and, and Castro as well. They were sort of a different experience, but I, I've spent a lot of time thinking this week about how much I should like draw from that like you know my experience was in both cases with the candidate was really limited elizabeth warren super friendly took lots of pictures chatted with kelly and i kamala harris was like her people had us in line and it was a quick snap a photo and go um so i don't you know i don't know how i don't know if that reflects on the candidates if it just reflects on their staff but i keep coming around to they put together their staff and they tell their staff how their day should look and and it feels like it that must reflect on them in some way Oh, absolutely. Don't you? I mean, the yeah, idea yeah. that you know, the beauty
1: of all this is this is entirely separate from any kind of policy or positions, right? This is just right. how they and in many ways, I think that might be more telling for the presidency than other positions, right? The, the, you, you can, you know, Elizabeth Warren is really good about laying out policies, but the reality is, when she gets into office, it's going to be how she responds to what is presented to her. Right, the world will come to her. It's not like she's going to set the agenda. And it's for me, it's it's revealing that she's kind, she's thoughtful. It doesn't mean she's going to be a great president, but that's the tone she sets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, I
2: think it's. I think that's important. Yeah, I, I mean, I never. I never got the impression that Elizabeth Warren wasn't a genuine person who genuinely believed what she Mm -hmm. what she talks about in her policy positions. I don't agree with almost any of her policy decisions and think they're a horseshit, a lot of them. But I think she believes in them. And I think that she wants to get people not to come to her side, but to understand where she's coming from. And hear you know, their opposition to that and actually learn about the people who she could potentially be governing. I think that some of the the other candidates are just they're just there because mm-hmm. they they're supposed to be. You're you know, you're uh, again, I talked about this, I don't know if it was last week or a couple of weeks ago. There are very specific candidates that get anointed within the Democratic Party and it feels like there are more than normal in this particular cycle, but in my opinion, like Kamala Harris just doesn't she just doesn't have it. I think she made a few decent appearances over the past year. You can talk about the Kavanaugh hearings and a few other things that she's done, but it just seems very forced, and I don't think she has you know, that kind of genuine personality that some of the other candidates do, Elizabeth Warren being near the top of that list.
1: Well, that's a good point. And think about, it, like, it, these candidates know how important New Hampshire is. New Hampshire is different from Illinois. It's different from the other states. It, you know, it's the early states, so you have to be attuned to the sensitivities and the way in which these small interactions are going to be echoed. Uh, right. And so it's, it's telling that, that that staff was that terrible and mm-hmm.
0: dealing with regular people. And Elizabeth Warren is, you know, she's this is her. You know, she's right down the road in Massachusetts. So and Kamala Harris is California. So I don't mm-hmm. know how much of it is uh, sort of an understanding of what New Hampshire politics is. I mean, you've got to figure that they've hired people who have done New Hampshire yeah. politics in mm-hmm. the past. So and, and I suppose there could be, you know, if I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt, um, I suppose there could be people who like the idea of, you know, uh, uh, she's, you know, down. <laughs> she means business. This is, you know, X, Y, Z, do it, get it done. Uh, business like that could be a, a pro. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't leave. With That's a a point. Good it doesn't taste. mean that Elizabeth Warren will necessarily be a better president. Right. So maybe
1: right. the way that Kamala Harris, like, you know, just give me the give me the evidence at the end. I'll make the hard decision. It, but it yeah. still is as a as a human being. Right. You want to deal with people who are open and kind and.
2: Yeah, I, I saw. I, I'm sorry, Phil. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I saw another a recent video of of Kamala Harris. Um, I think she was going through an airport, and someone was trying to talk to her. You know, relatively not angrily, but you know, boisterously about how she exploits uh, Latino Hispanic voters, and she wouldn't even look at him. Mm-hmm. She would look away talk to her staff her staff was running interference uh and she just would walk away and like it didn't like there's no human connection to her that i've ever really seen she might be good at you know lambasting people uh you know in in um, in in a, in, a, in a political sense um but she just doesn't i i don't get the sense that she has that kind of charisma that you need to be president Um, I think Elizabeth Warren has that. Do I think she would be a good president? No, but I would much rather have a person who is a genuine human being as, you know, compared to another just... Elitist asshole right, who has right. no connection to what's going on in the country,
1: which is sort of funny, Phil, because you and I are both in acad- we deal with academics all the time, and they generally are not the kind of people who are right. engaging oh. and thoughtful and They're kind. Not of great
2: great at <laughs> social skills, right? Yeah. They're not
1: good at social skills, and it's interesting to see somebody who is a law professor, you know, who's written what ten or eleven books, who actually that was surprising to me. I would have, I, I don't know if I would have guessed the flip, but. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have guessed that Elizabeth Warren was going to be as good at this as as you described her. Mm-hmm.
0: So again, you know, I, people can like or dislike her policies, but one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that she had. Um, she was really impressive in her ability to, you know, she took questions. They all take questions. Um, and her ability to be to give answers about you know what she's become known for all these policy proposals her ability to take all you know any this wide variety of issues and have very specific policy responses but also to you know be sort of personable and and whatnot i that aspect of her was was really impressive. I I can't compare that to Kamala Harris because I was asked to leave the room, so I don't really know what Kamala Harris had, had to say. But well, and it will be
1: interesting to see as the campaign plays out who does better, right? Does Does Warren make a jump and and become a, a more prominent candidate? Does Kamala Harris do that? It's 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 so early, and and New Hampshire's a microcosm, but to see how it plays out there as well as nationally.
2: Well, I mean. So I, I, Go ahead, Phil, what? sir.
0: No, I was going to shift gear, So go ahead.
2: No, I, I mean, I just, I think that, I mean, this is this is the beginning of the cycle. This is their first opportunity to really kind of put themselves out there. And some people are already doing really well, and some people are really fucking it up mm-hmm. this early in in the in the Absolutely. game. Absolutely. Um, now I lost my train of thought. That was that was a good enough. It point. went. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just, I, I just, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I lost it. I'm gone. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> this this bad beer is ruining it for me. <laughs> God, <Bill.
0: laughs> so, the, I mean, later in the week, so then that was all the beginning of last week. And then the past few days, we had uh, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand and Julian Castro on campus. And it, th- those were really interesting as well, because they're both I, I I think of both of them as fairly big names. But I'm a political science you know nerd, and I, I don't know that they have as much appeal. They're certainly sort of tier two type candidates. Um But uh, they, because I think they're not front runners, they both had smaller staffs. They showed up with, you know, two, three people with them. Um, And they had just a very different feel as opposed to the first two who had kind of Not really a rally, but there were, you know, hundreds of people there. They give a speech and take a few questions. Uh, Gillibrand and Castro both were Gillibrand didn't say anything. She I mean, she she didn't sit silently. She didn't give a speech. She (laughs) just came right in and just went to questions like she just wanted to answer questions from people. And, you know, again, really. Yeah, it um, was, was really kind Like, you know, her staff provided bagels That always earns points with me mm-hmm. um, Good bagel goes a long what way What kind of spreads, though? <laughs> was there more uh, than
2: just plain? Did uh, they have strawberry?
0: I, you know, I, I don't know it's a good, I didn't. I, now I know to pay attention to these things Nick. Go on I, I like veggie <laughs> um, Wait, so she, she was, didn't you know, give a stump speech I, I thought that oh. was kind of standard That everybody comes in and they give this stump speech No, she just came right in and said uh, that she's, you know, she's just here to have a conversation. And so she took questions for an hour.
2: That's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was great. And she did. She was she was really uh, I was impressed with her as well. You know, a couple of things that impressed me about her. um, She was asked uh, about gun control and her evolving position on guns. Um, And she said something that you just don't hear politicians say very often, which is that she started out when she was uh, uh, in the House. Um, She was representing upstate New York. And so she had a rural district and she had like an A rating from the NRA. And then over the years, she's changed her mind. She now has an F rating, but she, didn't, she yeah. didn't talk about it as I evolved or things have changed. She basically came out and said, I was wrong. I, my position was wrong early on. I've met people who are victims of gun violence, and, and this is how I should... And So whether, again, it was one of those where, regardless of the policy thing, for her to basically openly say, look, I believed this at one point, I'm wrong, I was wrong, I've changed my mind. I thought that was, you know, but she probably why she won't win the presidency, but... <laughs> but Flip-flopper. She was asked about um, uh, her stance on uh, essentially sexual uh, assault, sexual harassment, and whether somebody asked her whether they they thought it had gone too far. Um, And her response was no, that she doesn't regret the way she handled the Al Franken stuff at all, Um, which I thought, again, is not she's not looking for the sort of necessary. I don't know. I guess you could say that's the politically correct thing, but she could have given some sort of, you know, she could have. Uh, hesitated in some way and she didn't um Julian Castro on the other hand was like again sort of the contrast with him he didn't have you know all the other candidates have like a back room where donors go and you know people who give money or who are important and wait in this back room and the candidate comes and meets with them first not Julian Castro man he just shows up strolls right into the room where everyone (laughs) is there was no special room for other people he was he was very he was very he felt very authentic and, and he did give a stump speech, but then just took questions and, uh, you know, acknowledges that he's not a front runner and, and he's trying to make a change of it. But again, between those four, you got four very different kind of feels. I mean, it was kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. That's really um, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I've kind of rambled about that, but I, I, sh- I, I want to say, t- ask your opinion on this. Before I came to New Hampshire, I was deeply skeptical of all of this. I thought it was stupid that this was how we picked politicians <laughs> that, that you go and you meet somebody at a diner and you like them or you don't and so then you you know that, I thought that's that's nonsense and now that I've experienced it I, I kind of get it I'm sort of converted because you, you really in those sort of short interactions you can kind of get a sense for them now especially when they stand there for an hour and answer questions um, and the thing that I've been really impressed with is the people who show up to these things they ask good questions I'm used to mm-hmm. people asking you know dumb questions and new hampshire voters like they take this seriously so they the people and, and oftentimes it's the same people who show up at all of these events and they're asking good questions i mean not they're asking about stuff you know medicare for all and taxes and whatnot but they're asking specific pressing questions how do you you support medicare for all how do you plan to pay for that how are you going to implement that they, they ask specific questions Um, and it's been, it's been really impressive and you know, all types show up. There's one guy who's been at every event that carries a sign that says lock her up, but he has like a no more war t-shirt and a Marion Williamson who's running for a Democrat hat. I don't know what to make of him, Uh, but he's there for everyone. He asks a question every now and then, and they're good questions. so it's a really interesting, uh, take on it. And I my, my sort of takeaway is that I've always thought it was a little problematic that New Hampshire and Iowa had this power. Um, to, to sort of narrow the field for everyone else. And I'm I'm kind of convinced that it's a good thing that someone does this, that there is somewhere where people are, are willing to come out and meet all of these candidates and get a sense of it and kind of narrow the field for the rest of the country. Now, I don't know that New Hampshire and Iowa, these places that are not very representative, are necessarily the best places for that to be happening. Mm-hmm. But I think the idea that it's happening um, is is pretty good. I will say, like, I, I always was
1: really frustrated with the the disproportionate influence that New Hampshire and Iowa had because it never struck me as, as valuable, right? What, what what do I care with New Hampshire voters? But having a chance to hear, you know, as we've talked about this, your experience, I do think for the, the you know, the democracy, small d, uh, that's really valuable, right? To learn more about how the candidates handle themselves and yeah, it's it's kind of unique that it just
2: happens to be New Hampshire and Iowa, but I think mm-hmm. there's there's value in that. Well, I think it'll be interesting to see having this kind of this insider knowledge mm-hmm. that we have, and now we're providing to all of you yes. free of charge. Which, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh, <laughs> um, subscribe to our newsletter. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it'll be interesting to see what these particular candidates do over the next year and a half. And if these particular stances that they've taken or, you know, talking points that, that Phil has mentioned <clears throat> and that we've discussed have if they change or evolve in yeah. any way. Um, I, I think that it's like you guys, I like, I want to know who the person is at, at, at their core at the same time. Um, as much as i i like to hear that and i i think it's it's a positive thing um i i think just the system itself just it changes people on a fundamental level i think once you get through this gauntlet you are not the same person that you were you know a year and a half two years ago in new hampshire um i it's I don't know. It will be really interesting to see because I, I like I've I've never had access to this kind of information before. And it will be it'll be fascinating to see who these people turn mm-hmm. into over the next few months.
1: Yeah. And whether they get catapulted out of the New Hampshire and Iowa experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're seeing a little bit of that. There's been some shifts yeah. in terms of the yeah. the shakedown. Mm-hmm. Should we spend a Should few? We talk Biden? Yeah, a little bit on Biden? Because, yeah, this is so I mean, the we original all, hair sniffer. That's right. We all, We knew that Biden was going to announce and then he did. And I was shocked. So there's been two polls that have come out. Both have shown that not only has Biden got a little bump, but he's got a dramatic bump. He is now the clear, I don't know, the front runner, right? I mean, he's what, at 39%, 38% and Bernie Sanders back at 15%. Another poll had uh, Elizabeth Warren ahead of Bernie Sanders. So Mm -hmm. it feels like all this conversation about Biden and Bernie as being close to each other, that may not be the case. It may be Biden. And then maybe Bernie leading this whole secondary tier of, of candidates. Mm-hmm. I,
0: uh, go ahead, Val. I, so I, I'm, um, I'm not discounting that information, but yeah. I, like mark me down as skeptical. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I like I think it's totally possible that Biden runs away with this. That he starts as the front runner, he runs everything <clears throat> well, and stays the front runner, and sort of locks this up. But there's also a long history of front runners. I mean, we're, you know, Julian Castro was pointing out the other day, we're 40 some odd weeks away from the New Hampshire primary. So (laughs) we're, you know, we've got a long ways to go and a lot of stuff can happen in that time. Um, and there are lots of front runners in the past. You know Jeb Bush, who was the front runner, and it just falls apart on him, right? Hillary so Clinton, 08. Be... right? Yeah, yeah, yep. yep. So, so it's not unusual for a front runner to fall apart. Um, and it's not necessarily that they fall apart. I think Joe Biden has name recognition. He's associated with Obama. He's associated with an era that Democrats look back fondly on. Um, I, I think he benefits from all of that now what he does with it will determine whether he stays the front runner so as we continue as people continue to hear about the other candidates and hear more from joe biden i think there's a there's a real chance that that shifts now he's Mm -hmm. he's starting you know he has huge name recognition i think the thing to take away from those polls if anything is that bernie is has also incredible name recognition and if he's polling like low teens that's that doesn't bode well for for Mm -hmm. bernie um Uh, but you're right, what
1: Biden's ceiling probably doesn't go up, right? I mean, it, it, at that position, it's easier for him to stumble than it is for him to yeah. grow that number. I mean, the
2: field is too diluted at this yeah. point. I, I think, yeah, like you said, Biden has tremendous name recognition and, you know, the pedigree of being part of the, the Obama administration um, on top of his own storied career, whether you agree with his mm-hmm. decisions or not. Um, but in terms of, of Bernie, I think he's he's passe when it in in the context of all of the other candidates who have taken up the mantle that he kind of created several years ago and and hyped it up even more than than he ever could and taken tidbits here and there and kind of not just transformed his original platform into things that they all kind of agree with, but all have Mm -hmm. more um, hyper uh, progressive um, viewpoints on he's he's not he's not novel anymore he's not novel yeah. anymore there are people that are more progressive than him more They're younger more dynamic right,
1: right? more diverse uh, right
2: so as much as he has name recognition he's old he's white and he's not as progressive as a lot of his a lot of the opposition so realistically you have a choice between somebody who just has name recognition or a wide field of candidates who you're never going to get a majority from because they're all kind of saying the same thing in one way or another. I like I don't know. I think the the principal choice um, would be to to go for Biden. I think the smart political choice would be to go for one of the the. Younger, more progressive candidates. But I, I think they're going to go for Biden in the oh, end. A lot of it will depend where the Democratic Party is. Mm-hmm. And
1: it, all of the conversation before Biden officially jumped in, it was it, it felt like it was more progressive. But the fact that Biden got that huge bump suggests that maybe the Democratic voting block is a bit more moderate I mean and the data does show that, right? So when you ask Republicans like what percentage of Republicans are conservative, it's it's usually seventy, seventy five percent. When you ask what percentage of Democrats are liberal, it's it's closer to fifty percent. so the, 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 you know the Democratic Party might be more moderate than the candidates that we've been focusing all of our attention on mm-hmm. are. and we, we will see, you know. I, Biden is really good at like gaffes and stumbling, and that may all right. happen. So we will see. But it, yeah. it was, this was a really interesting development. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think that will be the key. I mean, there's, there's, there is evidence that the Democratic Party has shifted pretty far left in the last few years. And if that's the case, then you could see this as, hey, Biden's got 40% out of the gate. He's the most recognizable name. But that also means that he doesn't have 60%, right? Mm-hmm. And so right. that other group, as they, as people start dropping out and, and more progressive wings of the party coalesce, around a candidate you know right now you've got people who are excited about a younger candidate or change or something different and their their preferences are scattered amongst 19 other candidates right? right and so if as people start falling out the question will be you know do people shift to biden can he pick up other people or do or is there a you know 60 percent of the party that wants someone you know new young different that's going to coalesce around some other candidate as people start falling out and that Mm -hmm. that will be interesting to see how that goes that's a great point because you're right there's going to be some that are going to fall
1: away I mean I think Beto this was not a good day for Beto it wasn't even a good day for Buttigieg but lots of other candidates and those but those that stick around name recognition and familiarity familiarity well that's hard to say nope not that one either not that one either. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) will grow
2: he's familiar
1: (laughs) right and Biden is familiar we know him that's not going to get any better. So Elizabeth Warren, we're going to learn more about here her. We're going to learn more about Buttigieg, all these other candidates. Um, it's it's it'll be up to, to Biden to continue to push that.
0: Yeah, I think that's where my skepticism comes from. If if in the field that's out there now, you're not choosing Biden, you're probably looking for something different, yeah. right? And so if if you're can if you're an Elizabeth Warren candidate a, a voter, and Elizabeth Warren falls away or drops out, are you going to switch your vote? To back to Joe Biden, or are you going to be intrigued by a Buttigieg or a Harris, or so? And I think that's more likely than yep. going to to Biden. So that that will be the interesting part is whether he can expand that sort of thirty five, forty percent. Or, uh, you know, if if he doesn't have more, it, I don't know. That seems to indicate that there are people who are interested in something different. Um, yeah. And I don't know that he's that. It a great, it's a great point. Although I will
1: say, like, Joe Biden is going to do is, is polling really, really well with black voters. Right. I mean that's and that's something that somebody like Buttigieg or Bernie um, are not going to do well. If Biden actually polls the highest among black voters of all the candidates mm-hmm. right now. And again, that could shift over time. Um, but that's a that's a big constituency that I think some of the other white males are going to struggle with. Um.
2: Yeah. Well, I, again, I, I feel like they haven't learned their lesson from 2016. I, they It seems if realistically I would not guarantee, but it seems more than likely that that Biden will come out on top once this is all over. And I, I feel like it's. It's it's just Clinton just reincarnated in the sense of it's very establishment. It's very, you know, um, very understood what the policy points are. It's something that is kind of middle of the road for the Democratic Party. And you're not that's not the world that we live in anymore. And that's clearly not the world that your party lives in anymore. So it's going to be so interesting to see.
1: So his initial campaign video was all about Trump, and I think that's a good start. But he's going to have to come out with positions. (laughs) And where is he on health care? Where is he on these issues like uh, some of the ones that we've talked about with the Supreme Court, uh, reparations? My guess is he doesn't want to touch any of that. He's going to want a more centrist. That's probably the right position for him. For him, yeah. But it's going to be a much more centrist, democratic position. And then see. and he can dabble a little bit, but I I bet he's going to stay very close to Obama, very close to Bill
0: Clinton.
2: Yep. Oh, yeah. We're we gonna
0: end up. We're gonna end up with a presidential election between two year eighty-seven-year-old men. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> no, well, you know the the other. Okay, the other stunning thing: Biden
1: is seventy-six now. Something like that. Yeah. He. I think he would be seventy-eight when he's elected. Mm-hmm. Yep. The <clears throat> other thing is Trump is much younger. I mean, Trump is old, <laughs> but he is. What is he? Seventy-two. <laughs> Right. I don't know that you can say 72
0: is much younger no, than 72. No, but 76. I mean I think they
1: said that
2: uh, Young Thundercat.
1: I want to say that, you know, but it's it's a significant it's a significant difference there, right? I mean, so Biden is they're they're I mean, all at the
0: life expectancy. Trump's still got 4 years before he gets right, American right. life. Expectancy.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, you think about that if Biden is looking at running from, you know, a presidency of 78 to
0: 82.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's different. I, I mean, know. again, I think Trump is too old, but that's a whole other question we should oh,
2: have man. about well, that. Trump runs on Big Macs and fillet of fishes too. He's he's just never going to quit. He, so. What did he
1: say he, this week? He was saying he was so young and so yeah, vital
2: uh, or whatever. He was. He, <laughs> he never shuts up. So yeah, I mean, a, he's clearly up all the time. Uh, all right, we should talk about beers. We should do. that. Phil, you look like you were drinking a much more delicious
1: beer than we were. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was. So I'm drinking um, another beer from. Uh, resilience which is a a line of beers from the shilling beer company which is in littleton new hampshire um, i've had a number of theirs over the last couple of months they're consistently good um, and this one is Hop Weave. I've had this once before. I drank this once before when we were doing the podcast, and it's uh, Odyssey's and IPA. So it's one of their IPAs. It's it's just really good. It's, you know, the, all the things that an IPA does well. It's got that sort of citrusy, grapefruity, mango-y kind of, of taste. It's hoppy, but the hops aren't, like, over the top in your face. It, it's just really, it, it's nice. I, I, I realize that I'm evolving in my, like, beer taste, and that, like, this is not what I would have a year ago have described as, like, you know, uh, something that I would want to drink out after I'd been out mowing the grass. And now I, it, it is, but it's not because it's like light and refreshing. It's just a, it's just a good beer. It's, I, I like the the flavor of it. It just all around. I, I give it good marks. Growth is good. Growth
2: is yeah. good. Yeah. <coughs> all right, Nick, what did we enjoy? We were not growing this week. <laughs> um, in, in, uh, in, in, you know, light of uh, you know, talking about Game of Thrones and whatnot. Uh, Bill managed to get his hands on a uh, a specialty one from Oma Gang. They do all of the licensed, I guess, beer uh, for for Game of Thrones when new seasons come out. So we were having a <clears throat> Game of Thrones for the throne, which is a golden ale co-fermented with pinot grigio and some type of grape juice that i can't pronounce that does not sound right <laughs> does not sound right nor does it taste right phil it gets better talk about the <laughs> double fermentation yes where is that part oh it's like later paragraph oh god it's there's a whole paragraph on the back holy shit uh winter is here the wall is falling the final something blah 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 um Uh, Secondary uh, fermentation with champagne yeast to achieve a sparkling effervescence and a crisp, clean finish. Truly an ale fit for royalty. You are liars. (laughs) It really was
1: not good. (laughs) I was thinking about all of the flavors and tastes of beers that I don't like. And it, it hit a whole bunch of those. Well,
2: like it's supposed to be, like a golden ale. Like we've had really good golden yes. ales, and they, you know, kind of vary ever, ever so slightly. You know, they normally have a little bit of sweetness to them, um, but they're they're generally, and it's one a, a term that I haven't used very often recently, they're very drinkable. Yeah. This was, like, that sweetness gets taken away, I feel like, by the Pinot Grigio thing, but then it's super, super carbonated, so it just kind of blasts in there, and it just, there's no subtleness to it at
1: all. Every once in a while, you have, like, a drink or a beer, and you instantly feel hung over. At least I, as a 44-year-old man, every once in a while I feel that way. <laughs> that, that I feel like I have a headache now.
2: Yeah. So you get beer and wine in one thing. <laughs> this is a glowing review. Yeah, <laughs> so, so. but it comes in a cool bottle that has a Game of Thrones thing on it. So, so that's where Game of Thrones. Good. Yeah. Game of Thrones beer. Not so. Not good. so. Yeah. Uh, although I will say I've had their other ones for previous seasons, and there probably are other ones for this season yeah. um, that I've had that are pretty good so it could just be you know you just had the wrong one yeah but whatever this one not so good though <laughs> i'm just gonna put that out there we'll put our review on untapped right yeah now. we will do that also stay tuned for our game of thrones discussion at the end of the podcast don't go anywhere damn it which which will probably be better than our beer description yeah so all right although if you round. haven't seen the episode <laughs> you should probably go somewhere once the episode oh yeah ends. well we're gonna have some spoilers yeah All right, speed round. All right, so starting with Gitmo, Guantanamo Bay. We haven't
1: talked about that maybe ever on this podcast. So the New York Times had a fascinating story this week on major changes coming to the Guantanamo Bay detention facility. It's been more than 17 years uh, since the base was selected to house the worst of the worst. Better days. Yes. Yet Gitmo is now being retrofitted to meet the needs of its aging population. The Pentagon is now planning for the roughly 40 detainees still held in the facility to grow old and die in Guantanamo Bay. Aww, they put like a couple extra inches in that box they stuff That's in right, That's exactly. So nice. uh, the Pentagon was told last year to draw <coughs> plans to keep the detention center going for another 25 years through 20, 2043. This means hip and knee replacements, wheelchair ramps, sleep apnea, breathing masks grab bars on cell walls, dialysis, and hospice care. It's also forcing the government to grapple with an array of questions about how much medical care the prisoner should receive, how it should be delivered, and how much Congress is willing to pay for it. Mm. By law, the detainees cannot be brought to the United States, so any care they need has to be brought to Cuba at an incredibly high price. This is such a bizarre end to the Gitmo debate. Phil, you spent a short stint at Gitmo after the time you got lost in Afghanistan. Um... (laughs) what's what's
0: your <laughs> best take? two years of my life <laughs> that's right <laughs> this uh,
1: this is I, I, this is more of an academic weird conversation but i think it's an interesting yeah. one so uh,
0: what's your take on it
2: that's a long walk about
0: yes <laughs> <laughs> no, no. i i don't know what to make of it yeah. like there's so many i mean ultimately this is a failure of policy right this is this is a Uh, us as a country or as a government being unwilling to make the hard decisions like it it seems like at some point you have to decide these uh, they're the people that we have in Guantanamo are tremendous threats to national security and they're you know bad and we should do something about it or you decide that they're not but this like just limbo state of we're going to not make a decree we're not going to charge them with anything they haven't been charged with anything right we're not going to charge them with anything but we're also not going to let them go and it feels like we're at a point now where nobody just nobody wants to deal with that right there's this uh this bigger sort of political hot potato that nobody wants to deal with which is saying that hey this was a bad decision or we should let them go or we should execute them or whatever you know but nobody wants to deal with that and so we have to deal with all of these crazy ramifications of it Um, it's also weird that you know for for years we 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 interrogated them in an enhanced way (laughs) 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 by chaining them to floors and depriving them of sleep and all this other stuff. But now we're like worried about, um, yeah. Well, those the, techniques
1: the, cause some of the right. repercussions that we're seeing now, right? I mean, they're yep. like physically and mentally, right? They're, one of the yep. detainees, they said, had been handcuffed to the floor for long periods of time and now is having back pain and knee pain. That's not surprising. Right. This is Why, right why would
2: it be surprising and why do you care?
1: Well, because we're taxpayers and I have to pay for right. his all hip right.
2: replacement,
1: and and not only his hip replacement, but we can't even fly him to Miami to have it done. We got to fly. we got to pay for all of those facilities to be to be sent to Guantanamo Bay so that we can do all these procedures.
0: Okay, I'll be that guy. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy, which is that we also should care about this for more than just the economic reasons, right? This is this is the example of uh, you know either people have rights or they don't, right? So either they have a right to a trial or they don't. Like we have to make these decisions. And so what we've done is conveniently avoided that question and then, you know, we've sort of declared them to be terrorists who shouldn't have rights they're evil but we won't actually like bring the evidence or charge them with those those I mean the reason why we think you have you should have a right to a trial is because we think you should have a right every person has a right to have their day in court and try to prove themselves so if they are the terrible people who don't deserve this sort of care then like let's do it like let's prove it in a court of law convict them and 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 be done with it but um it it feels like we this is like the easy way out in which hey, we don't actually want to, to do that difficult thing, mm-hmm. but it, it, I think it just kind of reveals the hypocrisy of, of yep. it all, right? We're going to worry about their failing health, but we're not going to worry about the <laughs> fact that we don't actually right. give right. them any other rights other mm-hmm. than that. <laughs> That's a good way of
2: putting it. <laughs> I, here's the other thing, and this is a, another reason why Congress sucks terribly right now. That list is getting long, Nick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're going to put a list like this together. Meanwhile, the people who fought in the wars that put these people in Guantanamo don't get that kind of support through the VA i like it boggles my mind that we're even having this discussion charge them execute them close the fucking facility down and move the funding over to the VA which it should be at this point anyways i it, it i just i can't i cannot even believe we're talking about knee and hip replacement for and realistically, I'll I'll be perfectly honest. My perspective is still kind of tainted by nine eleven and the aftermath of that. Mm-hmm. And I would say that you know at least some of the people there may be innocent of the crimes. Mm-hmm. I frankly don't think there's a huge percentage that are innocent of the crimes, but that's neither here nor there. I, it's. You're right. They should have their trial, but I think most of them should be executed or at least put away in a a federal prison for the rest of their lives, where we have a system that takes care of their needs in some way, shape or form. But we should not be wasting huge amounts of capital on a facility that isn't technically on U.S. soil. For people that aren't U.S. citizens who are really enemy combatants against the U.S., when our own soldiers who put these people there cannot take care of themselves, that's fucking ludicrous it, to me. It, re- it really, and you think about the
1: the excess of how much is going to cost to do all of the. I mean, this is gonna this is gonna play out over twenty, thirty, forty years, and it's going to be a lot of money. And you can't try – some of them – so there there is the criminal proceeding that is – there are tribunals playing out there, but it's only for a handful of those individuals. Uh, And the rest of them are just going to be there. And the Republicans kind of hamstrung us on this because they they were the ones that pushed the law to say you can't bring them to our Supermax facilities, Mm -hmm. which always drove me nuts because I'm I'm absolutely certain we could handle detainees in their mid-60s, right? This is not a big issue. Uh, But it just makes us look bad. All of it. All of it is. It goes back to the the original sin, which is you shouldn't be interrogating and and uh, you know engaging in conduct that is unbecoming of a of a democratic country. The the reason we're
0: dealing with this is because we weren't willing to make the hard decisions when this was first happening. Right. Right. We we found this sort of easy way. To, to, to deal with detainees. We didn't want to give them Geneva Convention rights. We didn't want to give them constitutional rights. And so we, we found this sort of loophole. But the end result is that we're still stuck in that loophole forever. You know, how, however far down the road we are. I mean, we could. I don't I don't know when you say we can't bring them to the U.S. We can't bring, put them in prison in the U.S., but we could. I mean, you could bring them to the U.S. and put them on trial. No, 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 you can't. The, you the, can't.
1: the legislation says they cannot set foot in the United in the States because mm-hmm. they are yeah. so dangerous. <laughs> and that's the issue with the medical care because there are a number of procedures that could be done at a fraction of the cost. If you take a 90-mile plane to Miami and replace somebody's hip or put them on dialysis or whatever it is, but you can't do that because they're not allowed to set foot in the continental United States, which is, again, silly and absurd.
2: Oh, I, I Just this group, this particular group of people, and it's a relatively small, yeah. small group of 40. people. Yeah. We have interrogated and executed and imprisoned people extra judiciously across the fucking planet at this point. And it just happens to be this particular group who we were dumb enough to put in a public place and tell people that they were there. Like, I, I, I agree with you that. In our in our judicial and legal system, they deserve a trial. You were dumb enough to put them in the public eye when you have all these other people that you didn't give a shit about. So either do the thing, the principled thing, because they're there now and you fucked up, or get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, just, I, yep, I, I, it's
1: so yep. dumb. It's a stain both on the the George W. Bush administration, but also on the Obama administration. Who, who was uncomfortable. Ooh, they were real good at torturing people, by the way. But they were they were uncomfortable dealing with Guantanamo Bay and so Obama would say we should deal with this, but you know, he yeah, it, it lingered for eight years, and in the Trump administration, Phil, you were saying the other day that Trump is excited about bringing additional people to Guantanamo Bay.
0: They, apparently, there were talks about moving uh, uh, immigrants, like p- people who are detained at the border. I think <laughs> even children, possibly. I think it was children, wow. like uh, people who had been separated from families, moving them to Guantanamo. So I mean, no, they building a resort swashed, there. But, It's going to um, get worse. Well, well, God, yeah.
1: So <laughs> this is—it's just bad. It's, it's bad. It's just yeah. bad. <laughs> all right, all right. We should move on. To Rod Rosenstein, so Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein submitted a resignation letter Monday, indicating he will leave the job in two weeks. His departure has been expected, yet it marks the, an end to a tumultuous two years as the number two at the Department of Justice. In his resignation letter to Trump, Rosenstein praised the president for, quote, his opportunity to serve and for the courtesy and humor you often displayed in our personal conversations he closed with a reference to a phrase from the Trump campaign, quote, we keep faith, we follow rules, and we always put America first. Rosenstein's resignation letter comes days after the Washington Post revealed that he assured Trump in a call last year that he was on his team. And then in reference to the Mueller investigation, he told, told Trump, quote, I can land the plane. Uh, Rosenstein was in the middle of it all and didn't come out unscathed. It was only two months ago when President Trump accused him of the of treasonous behavior. He was also the administrative official uh, official who allegedly brought up the Twenty Fifth Amendment and offered to wear a wire to tape the president. I mean, this is just—he is all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil, what's your reaction to the departure of Rosenstein, and what's your sense of his legacy?
0: Um, I I think that I, this is sort of an example of. The gray area in which we all have to live in Trump's <laughs> administration, right? I, I, I go back and forth between thinking, you know, that he is—he he did a lot of uh, sort of difficult standing up to the president. Um, that you know he could have—he he certainly could have taken an easier route and been <clears throat> all on board with, with Donald Trump, and um, you know, let the, the sort of caved under presidential pressure. Um, He also could have done a lot more. I'm like, at the same time, I don't want to praise him as like this great hero. I mean, uh, again, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how he helped draft the bar letter um, and make the decision about it when he is one of the people involved in the investigation. I mean, there's all sorts of weird stuff he's done. I mean, this letter letter, he
1: was involved in the he wrote that letter justifying and defending the the firing of Comey. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, I don't think that he emerges. I I mean, I think, you know, if we fast forward 20 years and look back at this, how do people view uh view him I think he's he's not going to be one of the great villains of the of this era but I don't think people are going to view him as this you know great hero who stood up to you know I, mattis we you know we talk about people who sort of stay in the administration because they feel the need to to sort of do the right thing or to put limits on the president and you know I have my own issues with Mattis we'll talk about Mattis a little bit later but uh, it felt like mattis was sort of doing that right like he was doing what he thought was the right thing and and sort of calling not opposing Trump, but trying to sort of constrain or limit Trump. I don't feel like like Rosenstein was doing that. I feel like he was just sort of staying afloat, doing his own thing. He feels like the sort of person who, uh, when he's around one crowd who doesn't like Trump, says, yeah, we should invoke the 25th and get rid of him. And then when Trump walks in, he talks about how great his, you know, how much it meant to have these personal conversations. And I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say he's terrible because I think this is the this is the the, the gray area that people are forced into when they're around a, a president who's sort of shifting ideas of norms and expectations.
2: Yeah. Vic. Um, I think he's a weasel. <laughs> um, I, I realistically, I, I don't disagree. I think people do get kind of pushed into that gray area, especially in a position like that. Uh, at the same time, you know, we've talked about this time and again where. This is that kind of moment in history where principled people need to take a stand at some point and and really stick to their guns. And it seems like as more and more information comes out uh, about him in particular, he has kind of just played played every imaginable side that he can at this point, and not well. He hasn't played any of them well. So I don't necessarily think he was uh, fit for the... Job at this particular juncture in history, um, I, and and I just I, I don't think he deserves any kind of praise. I, I'm I'm not gonna miss him. Fuck him. He's, he's gone. Let's find another one. <laughs>
1: well, okay. There's a difference between no. him and remember Matthew Whitaker. Remember the Trump's acting yeah. attorney general. He yeah. was much worse, Nick. Right. I mean, he yeah. was just a Trump. Whatever Trump wanted, he would defend, and I, I think there was some there was some backbone to Rosenstein, would just say, "I'm going to do the right thing, whether I
2: agree or disagree with his interpretation of the but right he thing." He said the right thing, but then he said he can land the plane. I know that's terrible. like that's te- who, that is who, so who is awful. the person
1: in this? <laughs> well, and apparently before that, he was it's, he was crying about worrying about being, being we fired. Don't need people cry? Well, it's okay to cry, but it's you <laughs> should like, be
2: removed from office immediately.
1: If, if Trump is about because he was like. I don't want to be fired by tweet no if you have if you have a soul right if you have integrity you know you do the right thing and if you get fired that's the that's the thing you don't you don't worry about it and then tell him i'm gonna land the plane don't fire me mr president i mean that that's that 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 doesn't look good that's not going to be great for him historically
0: no are you concerned with who who replaces him then i mean that's the other part is that as flawed as he is i you know trump's not exactly bringing in sort of tier one candidates at this point either
1: <laughs> right I, I do think the senate i i hope senate republicans have had enough of this and we're going to talk about uh stephen Moore in a little bit but I, I i hope they say you've got to bring qualified candidates and there's been no names rumored yet but if you bring in another matthew whitaker it's uh because yeah because Barr has lost some credibility i think you've got to do the right thing here
0: you still seem to have some faith in the system. <laughs> I do. I do. I do have some,
1: right? I think I think. the Republicans are a little worried about what Trump is doing to the system. And they're not saying things openly, but I think there's some fatigue with the way in which these really ass-clowns have been in positions of power, right? I mean, that's just the reality of it. Is that some of these people should not be there. Matthew Whitaker was one of them. He shouldn't have been close To the Department of Justice. Mm -hmm. Um, Very sweaty. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Mattis. So this week we learned uh, that we can add former Defense Secretary James Mattis to the list of administration officials who disobeyed Trump's orders. The New Yorker quotes a former national security officer as saying, quote, the president thinks out loud. Do you treat it like an order or do you treat it as part of a longer conversation? We treat it as part of a longer conversation. (laughs) He went on to note, we prevented a lot of bad things from happening, which seems to be a recurring theme from those within the administration. It's terrifying. (laughs) In one instance, in the fall of 2017, Trump wanted his team to meet and develop military options for a possible conflict with North Korea. Mattis ignored a request to send officers and planners to the meeting. He just didn't send anybody, which is in some ways brilliant, so they couldn't do anything. Uh, Administrative officials told The New Yorker that Mattis was likely attempting to limit information to Trump so he could not make ill-advised decisions. Quote, there are a lot of people in the administration who want to limit the president's options because they don't want the president to get anything done. (laughs) Oh, Uh, Phil, last week, uh, Trump famously said, quote, nobody disobeys my orders. But we now know this not to be true. More troubling. We also know that many of the so-called adults have left the building. Thoughts? (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, when you compare this with the Mueller report, which indicates all of these times, you know, one of the things they pointed out, we talked about whenever that was a couple of weeks ago, um, all the times in which um, Trump asked someone to do something and they just didn't do it. Uh, yeah, I mean you, you see this pattern of people basically just ignore and and I, I don't think they're necessarily wrong like the statement that the president thinks out loud like you can see that when he gives a speech right like he just says stuff right he just kind of makes stuff up as he goes and the idea that you should act on every one of those utterances seems like that's a logical conclusion mm-hmm. and and there's not necess- this isn't necessarily unprecedented. So I, the other example I thought of I was talking about this in my foreign policy class uh, today, Um, The other example that came up in that Mattis article was that when Syria, when chemical weapons were used in Syria, he asked the Defense Department to come up with three options for how they could respond. Um, How how can the U.S. respond to this use of chemical weapons? And the Defense Department came back with one option, which (laughs) was targeted strikes. Um, which the Trump administration uh, uh, yes. was mad about, right? But it was essentially the Defense Department dictating how they were going to respond. Mm-hmm. And, and we were talking in my class today. I, you know, Listeners may not – this may not mean anything to them. But you know, Graham Allison, like we talk about foreign policy decision-making. And like bureaucracies are these sort of independent entities that sort of we, – we like to think the president has total control. When in fact they oftentimes don't. That's an example of you know, So it's not unusual that this is happening, that the Defense Department is sort of limiting how a president can respond to something.
1: But that's important, um, right? So the the he Trump says, I want to bomb something, and Mattis says, You can bomb this. Right. So I want to bomb a lot of stuff. No, no, no. You <laughs> can do you can you can bomb this. <laughs> you know, there's nothing he he can't get around that. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I, I can't decide we've talked about this on the podcast before. I can't decide whether that's encouraging or not because in this case you know if if i'm concerned about what trump's going to do it's encouraging that people are preventing him from doing it but uh the idea in general that a president that the the subordinates to the president are dictating to the president what they can and can't do should be concerning and it should point out some flaw in the system right that mm. this is the system that the we're, deep we're dealing
2: with i i mean i think it's I think it's historic to uh, um, the the level that it's been done in this administration, but I would imagine just about every administration, especially in terms of military decision-making, has been curtailed by the military, whether whether we know it or not. And probably for the better, most of these people don't have you know extensive military experience at least in 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 my lifetime none of them have military experience or real military experience they have deferment experience plenty of that uh, bone spurs bone spurs um <laughs> national card in texas um it, it's i i i don't necessarily have a a problem with it in in just kind of a a, a general sense um You know, I I, realistically, I would much rather have someone who is, you know, who who has deep knowledge of the military and what our capabilities are and what uh, you know strategic um, considerations to consider. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh god, that beer was really bad. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I just I think with this particular president, you don't really have a choice. Like you have to do something, and the fact that they are doing that to this extent um I don't necessarily see it as a a threat or an overreach I think this is something that no one has ever seen before and they have to take their particular experience and the the reality of their situation into account i i, 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 I from a policy yes. perspective that worries me significantly more I, from a military perspective i'm not too worried about. No,
1: I, I get that, right? And the reality is that for every president they have to deal with a massive bureaucracy who's who's not always going to agree with those indiv- those decisions of the president. But just today there was another article, and I can't remember where I read this, but uh, it was a former John Bolton advisor who said, John Bolton has to go to work, he's the national security advisor, has to go to work every day knowing he's dealing with a president who is a moron. Right. And this was somebody <laughs> who worked closely with Bolton. He's like, the president is a moron. And that's different, right? We've had a whole you know a lot of presidents who had different views about foreign policy but i don't know if we've had a moron president in our lives and that's and everybody in this these aren't democrats saying these these are republicans around the president saying yeah. he is incapable of making good decisions.
2: But shouldn't that be a case made for the military? Like, realistically, yes. you can, there are two ways to look at it. John Bolton goes there knowing that he's a moron, and he's either going, oh, fuck, I have to deal with this and try and make something out of it, or I can take advantage of this as a security advisor right. and make my own way. But then you have people who are career military veterans and who have, you know, they're they're part of the system. It's not that, you know, there, it, no one's going to have a military coup with this. I, I, I don't see that happening. And I, I just, I would think that in this particular situation, this is not a bad thing.
1: It's not a, the act that Mattis has done isn't a bad thing. I would have hoped that Mattis and others, Tillerson and others would have come out and said, this is a this is a crisis. This this man is not capable of making decisions. We're hiding thing, things from him or pulling papers off his desk the congress needs to intervene and, and well, nobody's done that right
0: and and you come back around to the fact that they're uh, those people are all gone right yeah. and and this is where in a situation in which like you know 80 80 <laughs> of cabinet positions are unfilled <laughs> which is an exaggeration yeah. but you know we have acting people in all of these positions and an acting secretary of defense is less likely to stand up to the president you know it's not a You don't get tenure when you're appointed the Secretary of Defense, but the idea of firing a uh, uh, confirmed Secretary of Defense is different from someone who's acting, and um, yeah, I mean, I think we should be a little concerned.
1: For lots it, of reasons. For, for lots of reasons, one of which is that a lot of those individuals are gone. I'm really worried. You've got Stephen Miller now. You've got yep. – uh, who's the chief acting chief of staff? Uh, what's his – I can't think of his name right now. Uh, um, He's got like seven jobs.
2: Sean Hannity. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, this week it was revealed that Trump is taking advice not only from Hannity but also Lou Dobbs. Like Lou Dobbs is talking to the president like, every day of the week, Nick. All
2: right. So here's here's yeah. the thing. Lou Dobbs. <laughs> Lou Dobbs. Lou <laughs> um, I, I mean, like we've talked about it the entire episode. Like, regardless, if the military or you know a major component of the federal government said, "This is what's going on. We can't do this anymore. Some there needs to be action, and he needs to be removed from office." We know we pretty much know that Congress isn't going to move on that. Mm-hmm. So, is it a better option to just kind of stay the course and kind of be a moderating force behind the scenes? Until you can get someone else in office in the normal progression that you would get a a new president in
1: there. That's a good question, right? Do you just manage the chaos or do you try to create more chaos knowing that it may not work? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We should. Speaking of chaos, we haven't had a chance to talk about Stephen Moore, one of the president, one of President Trump's planned nominees for the Federal Reserve Board.
0: He really likes Stevens. Yes, he does. (laughs) Yes. It's very
1: confusing. Now, Stephen Moore has gotten some heat over the last few weeks for some controversial writings he made uh, for the National Review in the early 2000s. He uh, decried the feminization of basketball, denouncing co-ed sports, and arguing that women should be barred from refereeing or covering men's basketball games unless they are good-looking. Sound thought. Uh, Moore also wrote that female athletes were, quote, seeking equal pay for inferior work. And lamented, "Quote: Is there no area in life where men can take a vacation from women?" And again, he didn't say this in like a quiet (laughs) conversation. He published these writings. Moore apologized on Sunday for the remarks, and the White House has said it is reviewing his comments. A growing roster of economists and Democratic politicians have called on Moore to withdraw from consideration, not for those comments but because he's an idiot on terms of economics. uh, That he's unqualified (laughs) for the job.
2: You're going off script. I'm going off script. Okay, I'm
1: sorry. (laughs) That he's unqualified for the job and would taint the independence of the Fed, uh, which could make it more difficult for the central bank to act in times of crisis. Phil, it's not surprising at all that Trump would try to appoint a less than qualified loyalist. Uh, What do you think of this? Surprise? (laughs) Question mark? Yes.
0: (laughs) I mean, so you have to take this in, like, the... the, uh, the event that's happening alongside this is that Herman Cain was also appointed or yes. nominated to the, to the fed. So, you know, there's, it's not surprising that Trump is appointing idiots who agree <laughs> with him instead of people who are qualified. The thing that's concerning about it is that the fed is, you know, we we talk about the politicization of certain institutions and we sort of lament the politicization of the Supreme court and whatnot. The fed has been, for a long time as it should be a political right you want really smart economists who are making decisions about what's best for you know america for the monetary policy of the united states and to see and trump has you know we've talked about in the past has verbally or rhetorically attacked the fed which is sort of unprecedented right he did policy. yeah um but to basically try to point loyalists um, is particularly concerning. And, you know, this is one where Republicans should be, this is where people should be on both sides of the aisle standing up uh, saying, hey, this is not, this guy is not qualified. Regardless of all the other stuff, he's not qualified. Um, and it seems like maybe that's happening. It seems today, I've seen a number of stories that seem to indicate that he's he just doesn't have the votes. Like, it's just, so Herman Cain's done, he's already out, and, and, um, and, and more it seems like it's not going to get through i mean i the the stuff he's saying is is insane and, and it, it should be an issue but beyond anything else the fact that he like he has a long history of being wrong on economic policy um and that should be enough to 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 throw a you know a wrench into the, the works and stop this this process from moving forward and that you're seeing that critique
1: come from the nonpartisan elements of the political system, right? It's not Mm -hmm. it's not that Democrats are the only ones leading this critique. You've got a lot of business leaders and economists saying this is really, really dangerous. You you don't mess with the Fed, right? Mm -hmm. This this has long term implications.
2: Yeah. I mean I was a rabid Herman Keynes supporter personally. (laughs) Anybody that can make Godfather Pizza a a success should really be considered for and any any high position. Um and pizza is terrible by oh, the way I in my youth I, I liked Godfather pizza and then I was like
1: no oh, no no yeah. oh,
2: bill yeah. um it, it's just it, it's He's an idiot. Like the the fact that we're even <laughs> talking about, yeah. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. Take your idiots. pick. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's just make a blanket statement at this point. Um, no, he he's an idiot, and and I do think it's it's encouraging that there seems to be bipartisan support that he he just he doesn't have the chops to do this. What is becoming increasingly um, uh, apparent with uh, the Trump administration and and the era that we're living in right now is that these you know, supposedly apolitical positions are becoming exceedingly politicized, and there needs to be some sort of mechanism to stop that, and we have not gotten there. Congress hasn't acted on it. Nobody else seems to want to move on it. I don't really know what you can do about it, but something that is as fundamental as the Fed or the judiciary, for that matter, like, there needs to be some sort of of check put in place where this this kind of behavior can stop. These are clearly... Unqualified people. I, I, I just, I, I have no idea what the solution is, but something needs to be done about it. I think that's a really important point because you can have, like, the,
1: you know, a, a Democrat versus a Republican president will likely appoint an expert who is maybe more liberal or conservative on a sure. particular, you know, issue on the Fed, but they still are. Knowledgeable about what should happen on ninety percent of the issues, and and you know even with the Supreme Court, like somebody like Gorsuch, who I don't agree with, but he de- he deserves to be on the Supreme Court. He is somebody who clearly has knowledge and is a legitimate candidate. But not Stephen Moore, right? He doesn't. He's he does. He should be on cable news at best. Um, and how do you how do you shift back to that to say that you know there's this there's this more finite debate between liberal conservative experts as opposed to the yahoos. Um, that the Trump administration is trying to put out there. Mm-hmm.
2: It's scary, Phil. I it's don't terrifying. Don't get it. <laughs> what what would the mechanism be at that point? How do you stop this progression? Reasonableness. <laughs>
1: right. Well, right. Good, I mean good on the Congress, and I think you're right, Phil. The Congress is Republicans are pushing back to say like no, no. But try, try again.
0: At the same time, like what that means is that he's like they think he might be short of the 50 votes, which still means there's like 45 oh, Republican right. senators uh, who think that this that this is a good idea to put him on the Fed. So right. it's it's like the the you know, the, the firewall is holding up, but it shouldn't ever be an issue. Right. It shouldn't never come into play like this should have. This should be a 100 to zero vote to not confirm him. The fact that there are 45 people who are on board is part of, I mean, that's it's, we shouldn't take comfort from that. We should be discouraged by that. And I don't know, you know, Nick, I mean, you were saying, how do you prevent this? I mean, at some point Congress has to take their duties seriously, but they're so concerned about getting reelected or the, you know, the, the Fox news, MSNBC approach to politics has, has changed this. I, I you know, it's an interesting question about whether you could bring institutional changes, right? So uh, any person who's nominated to the Fed also has to be approved by the Fed or something. So then right. you have these independent mm-hmm. economists who, you know the president gets to nominate people, but these this board of economists have to say a yes or a no as well. Um, Some sort of filter. I, that I mean that takes it out of the hand, right? that's that's an undemocratic or a non-democratic you know you have this group of people who are unelected who are then getting to decide this and that's also a problem so i don't there's not a good solution but it it, it is a a point of this is why
2: we should be worried about where we are i, I think. think we do away with the fed and then we're done gold standard? <laughs> we're going <laughs> we're going back, back to the gold, gold standard, standard. Yeah. how do you guys feel about bartering <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Oy. it's dragon time. Oh, thank you. All God. right. All right. Game of Thrones. I had to pull my shit together for an hour and a half. All right. Ugh. So
1: fans will know that Game of Thrones is in the midst of its final season. Interestingly, political science has had a lot to say about the show, from alliance structures to regime type to even who is the most who is most likely to win the throne. It's all very Machiavellian. Yes. And for our purposes today, political science can help us understand the role of the show's three
2: dragons. Wait, there's only three? There's only three. Yeah. Not everybody has a dragon. It's not some stupid fantasy novel, film. How do they
0: reproduce if there's only three of them? Well, see, it goes back to season... Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs)
2: And we're not even sure whether three...
1: Well, there's only... No, wait, now after... Oh, 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 hold on, spoilers. No, 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 no,
2: no, no, you're good. Just (laughs) turn the episode off now. We've already got your number if you're this far (laughs) in, so just turn it off now if you haven't seen the last episode.
1: All right, so the, the author of the books that inspired the TV series once referred to dragons as a, quote, nuclear deterrent of Westeros. He argued that dragons, like nuclear weapons, deter others from attacking because they can use mass destruction by raining fire from above. Oh, this is so good. Nick. All right, so let's dive into this question of whether dragons are like nuclear weapons or whether, they're, or whether they more closely resemble conventional air power or something else. Nick, you, you were the
2: one who pushed me into Game of Thrones, so uh, you start us off. Oh, man. Um, no, they're not like nuclear weapons at all. That's fucking asinine. The fact that we're even talking—I'm going to get very heated about this more than anything that we've ever talked about. No, they're—they're they're not. They're—they're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're tactical assets. They're close air support. They are their fighter jets or bombers because they—you know—it's strafing runs and and kind of uh, very. Uh, you know, it's small-scale destruction compared to the the damage that you would get from a nuclear weapon. Wildfire, on the other hand, would potentially be a <laughs> nuclear weapon, chemical weapon kind of. Yeah. Th- th- you know, that would fit the mold more. Dragons are super cool. Wait, uh, but not. It's just not the same. I'm sorry. Go, Phil. Does, <laughs> does wildfire mean something other than so, like a forest fire? So wildfire <laughs> is like the equivalent of like Greek fire. So it's you know it 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 burns and you can't really put it out and then putting water on it makes it worse Um, and it's you know it's what they blew up a fleet and like half a city at oh, one point cersei. oh cersei that bitch oh, cersei. Uh, God. <laughs> so, so nuclear weapons are
1: like we talk about nuclear deterrence the idea is that a weapon is so dangerous that nobody wants to use use it out of fear that somebody else would use it so mutually assured destruction of the cold war both the united states and the soviet union had nuclear weapons yeah. and they didn't want to use them out of fear but in game of thrones Dragons are used all of the time. They're not used. When are they used all the time? Last episode, Nick.
2: <laughs> not well, like not enough to like make a huge difference. Well, that
1: was a that was a tactical error that they didn't use the dragons enough. But like, well, yeah, she was dumb. She but just. But Darius, she uses the dragons all the time, thing. right? She I mean,
2: used them like three times.
1: Yes, but <laughs> the fact that they use them, like nuclear weapons, are like everybody's afraid. Once you start using nuclear weapons, it mm-hmm. will get out of hand.
2: Yes.
0: But the whole purpose in theory of having nuclear weapons is to prevent other
2: people from using them yes but nobody has any other dragon. But in the, no, no, the Night King, Nick, Nick the Night King had a well, dragon. well. He had a dragon, but he was going to use it anyway, so it's not deterring Wait, him, right? Does,
0: do all the dragons belong to one person? They no, did. Not anymore,
2: not anymore. They did, and then one didn't. He he turned bad.
0: But instead of instead of
1: once the Night King,
2: the other guy got,
1: got a dragon.
2: He's it the wasn't, bad man.
1: It wasn't mutually assured destructions. There, Phil, this this week on this episode, there were the dragons were fighting and biting each other. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So there was no mutually assured destruction. Nuclear it was, weapons don't do that, and they right. don't right. do that. It was all dragons all the time.
2: Well, dragons like they, there's a deterrent to dragons too. They have like you can shoot them with yes. a crossbow and they can die. Right. So I, they're they're just not. You can't shoot a nuclear weapon with a crossbow. I've cross- heard of
0: anti anti-ballistic missile That's a good point. They, they never don't work, work Phil, well. They never yeah, work. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, if you gave me a crossbow and told me to shoot at a dragon, it probably wouldn't work very well either. No, that's probably There's a difference true. between
1: science and Phil Barker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the
1: other thing I think about with dragons is that nuclear weapons—they don't just impact the battlefield you know nuclear weapons have a have a lingering effect afterwards mm-hmm. dragons they just come through and they burn up a whole bunch of soldiers and that's it Right? There's no nuclear fallout for dragon activity.
2: No, but there is that psychological thing that gets put in place. And they yeah. do abandon entire areas that dragons have destroyed previously in other generations. Well, that's because nothing grows. Well, that's, that's, that's different than... <laughs> is that part of the canon? That's different than, like, radiation. <laughs> well, nevertheless, there could be ghosts there. You don't know. Oh, that's true. I thought that, that's a good point, Nick. That's a good point. You
0: know what's more like a nuclear weapon? Thanos with the five infinity stones. Oh my god, can we do Avengers spoilers? I would love to
2: do Avengers spoilers. Oh god, I was so pissed about that movie. Oh Oh boy. I I just... I don't know like I don't know. It's interesting like realistically as as stupid as the show is. It's dragons and magic and it's good, medieval shit. Yeah. It's it's fun and there is like George R. R Martin did do like there's very intricate kind of political machinations in it. Yeah. You know outside of the dragons and the magic and all the shit that I just mentioned. It's it's, and it's fun to talk about.
1: It, to me, it, the, the dragon feels more like a. Like, we'll go all the way back to World War I, when you first got machine guns. If you had a machine gun and nobody else had a machine gun, it was devastating on the battlefield. Yes. And then once both sides had machine guns, it
2: was just millions of people right, dying. So they have to build dragons. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Steal right, right, right. the dragon it's, plans. Because and... I
1: don't even think it's like airplanes. Like, you know, the idea that. They, no, they're different than airplanes. They are, you know, they're dangerous, they're bombers. They drop bombs.
0: Machine guns, Phil. <laughs> they don't shit on the battlefield. They're not so shitting why, bombs. Why Why don't they breed these dragons? If you have three of them, like, why not just breed a whole army of
2: them? Oh, Phil, this is like three seasons. We don't know. This yeah. is a whole... They're <laughs> technically... <laughs> I think they're siblings, and I don't know if that works. And then there's... One is of there them even turned bad. One it of died. them turned yeah. bad, so it's really just... I, I don't even know if the two were like male and female what? at that point. We're not even sure whether so one of them, the 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 dragon that got turned
1: bad by the night king is dead, and then one of the other ones may have died. Right? There will only be one
0: dragon? No, like the, Wait, no. Are we sure? There's so, two? Yeah, we is saw this it is in the preview. Where there are it. dragons all over the place. No, no. There's only three. There this doesn't be. make sense. How do you only have three? It's a whole prophecy
1: thing. There used to be a lot. <laughs> now there's three.
2: <laughs> yes. So the the three came back with the this person whose family originally had dragons, came from the civilization that had dragons, but then they all disappeared because they I don't know, they got, the civilization was kind of crumbling and then they all just kind of disappeared and then she was the one that kind of had these three eggs and brought them back magically Mm -hmm. and she's the only one that has them and I don't know. Nobody else knows there's any more. But you know, there haven't been, been the any more. That makes more sense.
1: Think <laughs> about the Cold War in 1947 when it was, or, you know, the United States or 1949 when Russia got Soviet Union got. So like the United States and the Soviet Union have nuclear weapons and oh, dragons. Right. Nobody else has them, <laughs> <laughs> even though they're not nuclear weapons.
2: <laughs> what, what did we think overall of the episode, though? Oh. Besides it, it being Great. very dark, and I needed came, to get a new we, TV,
1: we talked about this when you walked in, into the, the, the office. It was dark.
2: I had to leave the TV that I was at, my big TV, yeah. to go find a smaller TV that had better, had deeper blacks it, in it.
0: Yeah. it was literally dark.
2: It yeah. was literally oh, yeah, dark. Yeah. Because no, it, it was depressing too. <laughs> medieval
1: times. There's no, you know, there's no lights. No, there were
2: I, no. I've been to medieval can, times. <laughs> they have they have lights, and I got some grog, and that's, it was pretty good. That's good.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'm not one of the haters. Like I was entertained, but I'm more excited now that the Night King is dead. I, that we I can get disagree. back to the. Oh, I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that we can get back to the, the the real the real politics of Westeros. That he only had eight seasons to go. What the Phil's, fuck are you doing? Phil's old. He's going to forget <laughs> two seconds from now. Oh, oh my God! Why did we? We're, we're going to do this for we'll another two more. episodes yep, until yep, this is done. Yep. Um, I really yeah, like on that. Part of that. <laughs> you did well, though, Phil. You did too well. Um, on that note, if you guys like these half-assed discussions about game of thrones and everything else that we talked about um uh, follow us (laughs) well done nick well done follow us on uh twitter at barstool paul pol facebook at barstool politics uh beers that we try uh untapped on ios or android just look for barstool politics you can find all of our reviews uh the podcast uh spotify itunes soundcloud stitcher google play music most major podcasting platforms uh, please share us review us like us through there um you know again ninety thousand listen it, it listens downloads whatever the fuck it is um we would love to get to a hundred thousand in the near future um so thank you guys for the support uh and then predict it uh we are partnered with predicted which is a real money political prediction market pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events uh, Barstool Politics <laughs> listeners uh, use the uh, promo link when open up a, opening up a new account will receive up to a $20 match on their first deposit um, so if you open up a $20, uh, $20 account Predict will match to $20 giving you $40 to use on Predict uh, just use the promo link Predict org slash promo slash Barstool Paul 20 and check that out. Anything else guys? That was really good Nick. Awesome Yeah, Phil? Thanks for your help in this discussion. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. Cheers.